Find your way back in John. Finally, we're back in John. John chapter 15. Really the white hot center of what is known as the farewell discourse. Jesus' preparation for His disciples to continue on faithfully after He leaves for us to continue on faithfully without His physical presence, though of course the presence of His Holy Spirit. And as we prepare for the Word, let's pray together. As we pray, the uh, sermon is not on giving, but let me invite you to think about your giving, the giving that you would do uh, through this church, the giving you do through missions, the giving that you do in serving those around you. Um, one thing that is always good, been, we've been reminded again recently, is that uh, giving is an aspect of our worship, and whether we officially pass plates or not, we stand before God and we say, all that I am and have is yours. All of it's for your glory, and this that you've allowed me to give for the purpose of your kingdom, I do so as an offering in response to your grace. So magnificent King, all that we have is yours. We confess that, Lord, even as though we were holding in our hands right now, we say that you're the King. We are the subjects. You're the vine, we are the branches. All fruitfulness comes from and through you. Everything that you put in our hands, whether whether we're talking about our finances or our efforts, our energy, our lives, we return to you for your glory. We say, Lord, use us, use our homes, our families, our singleness, our cars, our houses, our things. Let them be at the disposal of the King for his glory as we yield all to you and now prepare our hearts to hear from you. Praise the glory of your grace. Amen. John 15, 1-6. Jesus speaking, says, I am the true vine. My Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. Every branch that bears fruit, He prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I am him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. The branches are gathered, thrown into the fire. This is the word of the Lord. On a scale of 1 to 10, this passage is a 10 with regard to what it means to be a Christian. I mean, you, you get this. And you will know levels of intimacy and communion with Christ that the world can't even imagine. There is life here and fruitfulness and a depth of satisfaction in Christ for those who continue to dwell in Him. So my prayer this morning is that we will gain a clearer view of what it means to, to live in this vital union with Christ. Not just to profess that you know Him, but to actually know Him in real and abiding ways. 
so that you see and experience His life working through you to bear genuine, lasting fruit. So let's begin there with understanding that, that Jesus Himself is the true vine from whom all life and fruitfulness flow. Verse 1, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Listen, Jesus says, I am the true vine. I am. Hopefully, you recognize that I am. Right? A little bell is going off in your head. Because we've been in John for some time, and this is another one of those. In fact, the last of seven I am sayings of Jesus in John which point us to Jesus' true identity, to His deity, to His godness. So who is this standing before us? Well, it's the same God who stood before Moses in the burning bush. And when asked, what is your name? He said, I am. I am the self-existent, ever-living God of salvation. And as usual, Jesus then elaborates on the I am to tell us something important about himself. He says, I am the true vine. The true vine. Now, why a vine? The vine was a common symbol of Israel throughout the Old Testament. Israel was God's grapevine, which he planted in the midst of the nations in order to bear fruit for his glory. And so, for example, Isaiah 5, verse 2, the prophet says that God dug a vineyard. He cleared it out of stones. He, he planted a choice vine in it and watched over that vine that it might yield good grapes. Likewise, Psalm 80 uses the same picture, but a little more clearly says, You, Lord, brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it, and it took deep root and filled the land. Israel was God's vine, so much so that by the time we get to the days of Jesus in the New Testament, that vine was seen everywhere as representing Israel. It could be found in many places. It was on their coins in those days. They wouldn't put an engraving picture on there that violated the commandments, but they put a vine representing the nation. It was pictured above the main gate of the temple. Uh, Josephus tells us that wealthy Jewish citizens contributed gold and jewels in abundance to have a great golden vine fashioned that hung over that gate with clusters of grapes, the height of a man. Israel was God's vine. And yet ironically, every single passage in the Old Testament that refers to Israel as God's vine emphasizes Israel's failure as God's vine. And so verse 5 I quoted earlier continues by saying, God looked for it to yield grace, but it only yielded wild grapes, meaning bad grapes, grapes that weren't any good. And now what would happen to Jerusalem and men of Judah judge between me and my vine? What more was there that I could do for my vineyard that I have not done? When I looked for it to yield good grapes, why did it yield only bad grapes? And now I tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge 
and it shall be devoured. I will break down its wall, and it shall be trampled upon, speaking of Israel's ultimate loss of its kingdom. Or likewise, Jeremiah 2, 21, God says, I planted you as a choice vine, holy, pure, of good seed. How then have you turned degenerate and become a wild vine? Israel failed to be God's good and fruitful vine, bringing life and fruitfulness and salvation and grace into the world. Israel failed. But Christ has now come. And what Israel has failed to be, Christ now is. What Israel failed to be, Christ now is. He is the true and living by true in the sense of genuine, of real, of authentic, of faithful, of fruitful. So all that Israel failed to be in bringing to life the glory and sweetness and greatness of God, and all that Israel was not as the very source of life and fruitfulness for those joined to it, Christ now is for us who were joined to Him. In fact, Psalm 80, again, I quoted earlier, continues to show us how this is going to happen. It starts with Israel as the vine and very quickly moves to the Son as the true vine. Psalm 80, verse 14. Turn again, O God of hosts. Look down from heaven and see. Have regard for this vine. The, the stock of your right hand that you planted and for the son whom you made strong for yourself. They have burned it, speaking of Israel, with fire. They have cut it down. May they perish at the rebuke of your face. But let your hand be on the man of your right hand, the son of man whom you have made strong for yourself. Then we shall not turn back from you. Give us life that we may call upon your name. Restore us, O Lord, God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. Israel failed to be the vine they were called to be. Christ is the true vine who now brings life and salvation and joy to the nations, to all those who are united in Him. Christ, as He tells us, is the true vine. And the Father is the vine dresser. Now notice this. Notice how the Father is personally involved here. The Father didn't just send the Son into the world on a mission. While the Father waited home to see if it would be completed, the Father is personally involved here. He was involved personally with Christ as He walked upon this earth. Uh, John 5.19, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing on His own but only what He sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. The Father is intimately involved in all the work of the Son. That The Father is there as the Son pursues His calling and carries out His work of salvation. But guess what? And here's what we now see in this passage. Just as He was intimately involved with the Son, so the Father is also now infinitely involved with you. If you are in the Son by faith. Because the Son is the vine. And we are the branches on that vine. Look what he says. Again, verse 15, I am the vine, my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, He proves that it may be even more fruitful. Already you are clean because of the Word that I have spoken to you. So God is the gardener. Get this picture in your mind. 
God is the gardener, and as the gardener, He has a goal for His vine, of which we, if we're in Christ, are a part. And His goal is that your life and my life may bear good fruit for His glory. And glance down in verse 8. By this, my Father is glorified. How? How is the Father glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples? God is the gardener and He is seeking to make the lives of those who belong to Him full of good fruit. He wants to look at His people, the church, and see the evidence of Christ's presence among us. And so to accomplish this, Jesus says, He does two things. Cutting away the fruitless branches and pruning the good branches. Let me see if I can make this work. Couldn't afford a grapevine, so I've got a tomato vine. Uh, for some reason, they're all over the place at Home Depot right now. The Father, in His caring for His vine, does two things. First of all, He cuts away the fruitless branches. How many of these fruitless branches does He cut away? What does it say in verse 2? Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. How many of them does he take away? All of them. I don't know how much you know about viticulture that is vine growing, but this is absolutely essential to do this. On a grapevine, there are some branches that that sap the vine, and yet they produce no fruit. And and so they, they look like good branches when you look at them outwardly, but they're not. Uh, they're, they're, they bear no fruit. And so for the health of the vine, they must be removed. This is a picture of the merely professing Christian, the churchgoer who is in fact not a Christian. He or she may look really good as you look from the outside. They may seem to have life. There are, there are green leaves, and yet there is no fruit, meaning that there is no vital life here. That there is no vital connection to Christ uh, by faith. And so uh, this person, despite their presence in the gathering of the church, they have no genuine spiritual life. And in the end, he says, they will be taken away. Judas is a good example of this. There he sat among the disciples at the Last Supper, looking for all the world like one branch among many others. And yet running through his heart was not the sweet grace of Christ bringing fruit, but the bitter deception of sin and Satan bringing betrayal. When the time came, we saw that he was taken away. He was was cast out so that all would now see that he indeed is not a true disciple. Those who bear no fruit are taken away. But then second, he also does something else. It says those who are genuine disciples, who do bear fruit, these he also prunes. How many of these branches? Let's read it again. Every branch that doesn't bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So how many of the good branches does he prune? Again, all of them. And so if you are his, listen, 
you are going to be pruned. And this too is necessary for the health and the fruitfulness of the vine. In the spring of the year, as the vine begins to grow, each branch sends out little little tendrils, uh, suckers they're often called. And if you leave those little suckers in place on the vine, uh, just like with a tomato plant, uh, they will you'll get far less fruit from that vine and fruit that is of far poorer quality. And so for the sake of the fruit and the long-term health of the vine, there's got to be some cutting. There's got to be some pruning. Uh, The things in us that hinder this vital union with Christ must be clipped away. And that can be a painful process. Because it's not just the cutting away of sin, because that would be obvious and that isn't part of it, but in the wisdom of the Father, He will cut away anything that hinders this vital union and relationship with Christ. And and so it might be your love, that, that, that it might be a love your heart has fastened on, that is obscured from your love for Christ. It might be some obsession that you have, some activity, some recreation. Uh, some something that in and of itself may not be considered sin or evil, but has become that which is sapping your relationship with Christ, that is pulling you away, that is exerting more and more of your energy. It might be some relationship that is detrimental to your walk with Christ. It, it may be some habit that you've developed that hinders your fruitfulness and faithfulness, that, that blunts your zeal for Christ. No, no, it must go. Like those suckers, it must be pinched off. And when he takes it, oh, it's not going to feel very pleasant at the moment. But as with all discipline, it is for your good. Hebrews 12, 11 says, at the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness for those who have been trained by it. Are you being trained by the gracious hand of God's discipline? Are you being pruned? You see, His love for you, His his wisdom demands that, that some things be removed from your life for your ultimate good and satisfaction in Him. And in this way, we're told, He trains every disciple whom He loves. He he disciplines us for our good that we may share in His holiness. In fact, there's an interesting play on words here in verse 2. It's a little hard to bring over into English, but let me try. Look at the words there on the page. He takes away and He prunes. Takes away is... Iro in Greek. Prunes is kafeiro. You hear the similarity? Iro, take away. Prune, kafeiro. And the point is that he cuts away the branches that do not bear fruit, but he quite literally cuts clean the branches that do bear fruit so they will bear more fruit. And that word cuts clean or prunes helps you understand what he says next in verse 3. 
Verse 3, already speaking to the fruitful branches, you are clean. Okay, very similar word to cuts clean, to prunes. So already you are pruned. Already you have been cut because of the word that I have spoken to you. Now, if you're a Christian, listen to what he's saying there. If He's saying, I've got to cut you clean in order for you to bear more of my fruit. I've got to cut. It may look to you like the cutting that I've done and the casting away of those who are fruitless. But, but I'm cutting you so that you may have a closer union with me. So that you may be made fruitful in me. Because if you're mine, listen, if you're mine, you really have already been cleansed because of the word that is at work in you. In other words, you can think of it like this. For the Christian, the word of Christ is like a pair of pruning shears in the Father's hand. As you read the Word and believe the Word and submit to it and repent when it exposes your sin, it cuts away those things that don't belong in your life and are hindering fruitfulness. It prunes us. It cleanses us. I mean, come on. You ever been cut by the Word of God? You ever experienced the sharp edge of the sword of the Spirit? Had it pierced you to the heart? Had it convict you of some sin, some area of negligence, so that your life may become more fruitful? You see, really, there are two choices that the Christian faces. Because we're going to be cleansed one way or the other. We're going to get pruned. But you can either be pruned by submitting to God's Word and letting it cut and purify your life. John 17, 17, sanctify, cleanse, prune them by the Word. Your Word is truth. Or you can wait for God to prune you the hard way with the shears of providence coming and cutting out of your life those things, forcing the issue. But dear Christian, here's the thing. Either way, you will be pruned. Sometimes it will be painful. Always it is for your good. How is the Lord pruning you right now that you may bear more fruit? So God's goal as the gardener is to increase the fruitfulness of our lives. Second, going on he says, and we must maintain this intimate living union we have with Christ. Which God has given us. Listen to verse 4. This is ground zero. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. So here is the key to the whole thing as far as your personal life goes. Dear Christian, abide in Christ. Abide in Christ. What does abide mean? We've seen this before. It means to remain where you are. It means to stay in that place. It means to live and to dwell in the midst of something where you have a connection. Let that connection be maintained. But when you were brought to life by God's grace through the hearing of the Gospel, you were joined to Christ spiritually like a branch into a vine. Because that really is the image here. He is the vine from whom all life flows 
And you are the branches connected to that vine. The branch has no life in itself. It is utterly dependent on the vital fluid of life, the sap flowing from the heart of the vine. When you were brought to life in Christ's grace, He he plunged you into the vine because Christ is the one in whom life dwells. Think of that. John 1, 4, the beginning of this Gospel says, In Him, in Christ, was life. Christ is the source of all of our life. He's the origin point. He's the wellspring. To have this life, you must be in vital union with Him. 1 John chapter 5, verse 11 and 12 says, And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have this life. And so this life we're talking about is a person, not a thing. And we must understand this. It comes to a living union with the person of Christ. And so eternal life is not a thing that you possess. It's not an object that you put in your pocket. It's not a product that can be bought and sold. Eternal life is the very life and person of Jesus Christ dwelling in you by faith. It's Him. It's knowing Him. And to enjoy this life and live this life in all of its fullness, you must continually come to Him. You must aim at maintaining this vital daily connection with Him. J.C. Ryle put it this way. He said to abide in Christ means to keep up a habit of constant close communion with Him. To be always leaning on Him, resting on Him, pouring out our hearts to Him and using Him as our fountain of life and strength, as our chief companion and best friend. To have His words abiding in us. To keep His sayings and precepts continually before our memories and our minds. And to make them the guide of our actions and the rule of our daily conduct and behavior. And so, it is living in vital daily union with Christ. And so notice what He tells us here. Notice... Not only is this a personal living union with Christ that the believer has, but first of all, it is a relational union. As with any good relationship, there is mutuality here. Do you see that? In verse 4, he says, Abide in me, and I in you. Now here is a glorious reality of, of mutual indwelling that we've seen before. Jesus isn't just telling you here, okay, Christian, you've got to work really hard to have a relationship with me. You've got to work hard to get this or, or you're going to be lost. I mean, dude, you are on your own. I hope you make it. No, no, He's saying, keep your hold on me knowing that I've got hold of you. Philippians 3, verse 21, Paul says, I press on to lay hold of that which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. And so this is the picture. I I keep hold of Him who keeps hold of me. And, And there's a real intimacy. There is a friendship with the Almighty, a friendship with the living Savior. And that's what we've got to see here. 
keeping to this vine illustration, the branch is in such an intimate union with the vine that the very life of the vine permeates and indwells the branch, giving it strength so that it will not let go. We, as Christians, are in such intimate union with Christ that the very life of Christ permeates and fills our lives so that we are strengthened and indwelt with Him in a way that ensures that we will never let Him go. And so the very heart of Christian faithfulness is found in this living union with Christ by faith. We don't think enough about the union of the believer with Christ. And the joy of this life and the strength of this life and the perseverance of this life are found in maintaining this intimate communion with Christ, walking with Him, worshiping Him, drawing near to Him through word and prayer and fellowship. For this is eternal life, Jesus says in John 17, 3, that they may know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Oh, do you know Him? Are you on intimate terms with Him? Can your life right now be described as one where you abide in Christ and He in you? Wouldn't you like it to? Because second, it is through this living union with Christ that genuine fruitfulness flows. Verse 4, Abide in me and I am you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. You can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I am him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. Again, notice, it's, it's him. It's, it's living with him and walking with him in this vital union of life. Without him, without him, how much fruit can the branch bear? Right? If, it's, if it's not, I don't expect a whole lot out of this branch. If it's not plugged into the vine, it'll bring nothing. The branch cannot bear fruit by itself. Verse 5, apart from me, you can do nothing. I mean, so much for your autonomous individualism. So much for the world starts and revolves around me. So much for, oh, it's all about me. No, dear one, it's not about you at all. Sever yourself from Christ. Distance yourself from Him. Turn in on yourself or outward to anything else other than Christ. Doesn't matter to the degree that you are removed from Him to that extent your life will be fruitful, fruitless. But turn to Him. Draw near to Him. Drink deeply of Him as the water of life. Feast on Him as the bread of life. You will bear much fruit. Fruit. Now what is the fruit we're talking about? What does he mean by fruit? Well, by fruit he means the living evidence of Christ alive in you. It is His righteousness alive in you, as we saw in Philippians 1.11 when Warren read it. Righteousness, His at work in us. It's His character, the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, 22 and 23 says. It's His joy alive in you. Now in verse 11, look at it. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you. You need joy. It's not found by you manufacturing. It's found in Christ. 
His presence producing good works in you. Colossians 1.11 Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord that is in union with Him, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Fruit is the whole of a Christ-honoring, God-rejoicing life, living and working in you. It's Christ alive in you. Christ seen in you. And it only comes one way. Not by getting busy and trying harder to produce this fruit. Because apart from Him, you can do nothing. It comes by drawing near to Him and staying near to Him. So dear one, when fruit is lacking, don't just try harder. Turn to Christ. When your life feels fruitless, don't just get busy. Go to Christ. We got a world of people running around out there trying to justify their existence. Killing themselves, trying to feel significant. Trying to measure up to somebody's standard. Trying to, trying to get recognition from someone. Trying to get affirmation from someone. Trying to get someone to pat them on the back and say, you're okay. And they're killing themselves and they can't do it. So here's what you need to do. If that's you, stop it and go to Christ. Press close to Christ by faith and let Him pour His love and bring His life into you. And that is where the fruitfulness will come. Which brings us to the last thing, and that is just to see then that this living connection to Christ as the true vine determines everything for you. Again, 5 and 6, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I am him, he it is who will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing, but if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. The branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. Jesus must realize that we're pretty dense because he simply has to repeat himself here. It's all he's doing. I am thine. You are the branches. Do you get it? It's me. There's only one life-giving vine here, and it's me, it's not you, it's not your friends, it's not your little group, it's not the culture, it's not your morality, it's not your religion or politics or family identity or racial identity. It's none of those things. It's me. The life that you need is found in me. I am the vine, and you are the what? Say it with me. You are the branches. We're the branches. We're the, we're the little sticks connected to Him that have no life in themselves and can do nothing by themselves. The only life that we have is that which comes to us from the vine as we are joined to Christ and anchored to Christ and plugged into Christ, drawing our life from Him. So we join. To Him by faith. Are you drawing your life from Him? See, that's what we're talking about. Whoever abides in me. Is that you? And I am Him. I am Him. What a promise. What a sweet pledge of intimacy. And it is out of this intimacy of relationship where His life flows into us that we begin to bear fruit. Whoever abides in me and I am Him, He will bear... How much fruit? Much fruit. Oh, how can Jesus even say that? But does He know what a mess I am spiritually? Doesn't He realize how often I fail? Doesn't He, doesn't he comprehend 
How faithless I can be. How can He look at me with all of my failures and say that I will bear much fruit? Because if you are in Him and He really does dwell in you, He's the one doing the fruit there. And He can take the weakest soil. He can take the most pitiful plant, even this broken plant, the most struggling vine, and He can make it rich with fruit because He is the Master Gardener. But without Him, on your own, separated from Him, you can do nothing. And so there are are two different destinies in view in verses 5 and 6. There are, first of all, those who remain in vital union with the vine. And these, we are told, have life and they will bear much fruit. But then second of all, there are those who have separated themselves from Christ and bear nothing. To them, He says, there's nothing left for you but death, withering, and judgment. So verse 6 is really giving a warning here to those whose connection with Christ is merely superficial, merely religious, not real, not deep, not life-changing. There's no fruit. There's no sweet savor of Christ's presence. To you, he says, and please hear it again, this one is thrown away like a branch, withers. The branches are gathered and thrown into the fire. Burned. Friends, this is a hard morning. And to whom is this morning given? To those who do not abide in Christ. To those who do not continue by faith in Christ. To those who separate themselves from Christ, either by drifting away from Him little by little through neglect until finally you can't find Him anywhere. Or by purposefully deconstructing and pushing away from Him so that you are without Him. Either way, they are severed from Christ and they lose everything. And dear children of the church, you who are coming up among professing believers, you who hear the Gospel week after week after week, oh please, let me warn you, beware of a merely casual faith that is not personally and deeply rooted in Christ Himself. Because if life is found in Him and only in Him, to be cut off from Him is to have no life, but ultimately only death. To whom is this warning given? It's given to those who do not continue to abide in Christ. And what is the warning that's given? Well, the warning is of judgment. Verse 6 is a word A warning of judgment. The branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burn. It makes sense. If life isn't divine and you are cut off from the vine, then then rather than life, there's nothing but death. I mean, he talks about withering. Why withering? Because that's the symbol of death. Any withering going on in your life right now? Any shrinking away from Christ? Jesus says there's, there's no life here. No Bible connection. Such branches, he says, are gathered, cast into the fire and burned. And what is that? That's a symbol of judgment. It's what we see in Matthew 13, verse 40, where he says that they are gathered and burned with fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send His angels. They will gather out of His kingdom all causes of sin and lawbreaking. 
and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. But then the righteous, that is those who are abiding in Christ and filled with His life, will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. Oh, He says, He who has ears, let him hear. Dear one, please hear this warning this morning. Because I can't soften it for you. And I wouldn't even if I could, because you need to hear it. Christ offers great assurance to every soul united to Him by faith. And yet He also gives terrible warnings to those who are not. So Father, I pray for every individual in this room. I pray that we will be found united to Christ, full of joy and bearing fruit. I pray the one who is not united to Christ their life is marked instead by withering, by shrinking, by fading. Because there's no life present, because there's no vital connection to you, that you will give the wake of call to turn and find that whatever our background, whatever it is that has stained our lives, whatever withering there has been, that you have the power to bring life where there is death. And you can unite us to yourself, Lord Jesus, and give us not only a life that never ends, but a fruitfulness that never dissipates. So we ask that you would give this gift of life and fruitfulness to every soul here that looks in faith but to to you for the gift you only can give. Give it, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to end our time with the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper... For us as believers, the Lord's Supper is a reminder. I'm having trouble with my thing. How about that? Lord's Supper is a reminder to us of our union and our communion with Christ. That's why some even call it communion. Why do they call it that? Because Christ Himself is present at the table. Christ Himself is present at the table every time that we share together in the bread and the cup. So when we partake of the Lord's Supper, Christ offers Himself to us spiritually afresh um, to strengthen our faith through these means. To assure us of our hope in Him. And and so we look and we remember and we celebrate that by faith we are in Him and He is in us. We declare that by eating this bread and drinking this cup, in fact, that we will not separate from Him. We promise anew uh, within our relationship to Him to continue with Him in faith, growing in His grace, bearing fruit in every good work. Until He comes. I'll just ask, is that your pledge this morning? If it is your pledge that I will walk with Christ, that I belong to Christ, that I draw life from Christ, if you're one of those who is alive in Christ, I think we welcome you to this table to celebrate with us. If you're not joined to Christ by faith, or you're not sure, we ask that you wait and watch 
And, and as you use this time to consider your relationship with Christ, well, what would it mean for you to turn and put your trust in Him right now? What would that mean? How would your life change? I'm here to tell you to change in every way. As He begins to give you the grace and the life that your soul so desperately needs. So I would urge you to think about that and to actually consider maybe speaking to someone this afternoon, talking to us, letting us share with you how you might go Christ. And so brothers, if you would come and we'll prepare the table and as these brothers distribute the elements, I'm going to ask that you would use this time to consider your relationship to Christ, that you would in fact turn from sin and trust in Christ. And as believers, that we would confess our sins. And so we're going to begin with that. And we'll talk about we've got the and we put the confession up here and we say, there we go. And so let us confess our sins together and then as the brothers distribute these elements, you use this time for confessing anything the Lord brings to mind, but more importantly, or along with it, look into Christ by faith. And so, confessing with me. Lord, we confess we have sinned and fallen short of your glory. We've not loved you as we ought nor obey as we must. Merciful God, forgive us for Christ's sake. Draw us near by your grace and keep us. Help us abide in your love and live by your truth. Renew us by faith. Enable us to bear good fruit that we might live to the praise of your glory. Amen. So use this next few moments. Consider your relationship with Christ as a believer, all the benefits that come to you through Him, the sweetness of forgiving sins, and then be ready to celebrate as we end together.